do I need eyes to see? to get you barbara welcome to lunch bill boys i'm one of the hosts tj harkness also on here with me is a man who i've seen naked more times than not a man who his job in the past and possibly currently has been a what was it anal leakage um anal seepage yeah seepage it's like a full-time job for you i think so wait did you just say that you've seen me naked more than not naked yeah He's seeing you naked right now. Even though you're in clothes. <laughs> Doesn't matter. He... We're all naked underneath these clothes. We all are all, we're all naked. Please don't stand up, Burton. I don't need to see your ass right now. <laughs> <laughs> How'd you know? <laughs> uh, I had a feeling by the face you made. Mr. Uh, Splurton, there is no Burton. I'm joining you guys from the road tonight in Miami. Little Miamisburg, Ohio. He's a road warrior. Mad Max? Sure. I'm actually working in Waynesville, Ohio, which is supposed to be haunted, I guess. With peepees? I don't know why I'm fucking going to peepees right now. Yeah. He's going to peepee town. I don't know. It's Wednesday. Hmm. Okay. So you're in Dayton right now. It's the Wednesday night special. Close to Dayton, right? Miamisburg. Yeah. Yeah. Southwest of Dayton. Yeah. I was going to say, it's not super far. Suburb. Yeah. Yeah. I really don't like Dayton at times. Like some of the areas I've been to, I've been like, oh, good. But you're so recently new to dating. I don't know why you're so opposed to it. I wouldn't poo poo it right out the, right out the bat. I fucking hate you so bad. I said Dayton. Whoa. Dayton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, it's the same. You're not, uh, you're not, uh, it's saving. It's the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> Dayton, Ohio. That sounds better right there. Uh, I wouldn't date a state if I definitely not Ohio either. <laughs> yeah, no, you get you'll catch something from that. It's about like dating your cousin. <laughs> also on here, that voice you hear, uh, Bob Dylan's. Uh, he's the guy that subbed in for Bob Dylan on his 1985 tour. Hey everybody! Then also subbed in for his son. I can't remember Bob Dylan's son's name. It was in the Wallflowers. My son, Jacob, Dylan. I was going to say Chester Dylan. (laughs) And his wallflowers. I don't know. I think I turned into a... Never mind. I'm really lost. Like a perverted smoker. Southern gentleman right there. A southern gentleman. Trying to be Bob Dylan. Hey. Hey. That voice who sounds like an old man. Hello. Probably on Epstein's list is Mr... Skyler, there is no Dana, only Zool. What? <laughs> Hawkins. <laughs> Stephen Hawkins wheelchair. He let me ride it around the island, guys. You know, he let me ride it around the <laughs> island. You could uh, get at least three or four small children on it uh, with you. Of all the shit that the the flood of uh, documents, you know, that's in those. All the bad shit that's in there, and everybody picks on Stephen Hawking, and he's the only one I don't see mention of any minors. Now, he just like midgets. Which, I mean... Who doesn't? You know? Yeah. 
You see a taco yeah. that's actually the size of a taco? Awesome. Well, like a mini taco. Like one of those mini tacos that, like you get in the frozen section. Ooh, those are delicious. Full of ground beef. Well, mm. I, I mean, there's probably hanging beef, but... It's like combination between Taco Bell and Arby's. Down there. I know a few women like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not naming anybody. <sighs> Before we get going, because we've got a fucking long episode, <sighs> I want to say that, have you guys, or ask, have you guys watched the... And I know this sounds stupid because when I hear this name, I think of a bunch of cock stains that don't fucking actually like give any have any societal worth. TMZ. They did a uh, documentary with Jeremy Corbell. It's I've there are two episodes into it. It's fucking good, dude. I mean, they're not the like most kosher, whatever, like ethically, like news organization but they i mean i think they've broken some like you know stories about things mostly like you know they broke stories like There's michael things jackson and they've done stories about things and they, you know they wrote stuff down probably once <laughs> maybe on a hanky but taco bell napkin it's legitimate it's pretty good um yeah uh, it. I watched both episodes today, and I was like, "Holy shit, this is so." And they released the new video. That was the jellyfish UAP. Is yeah, we saw that yeah. something Jeremy Corbell got from somebody on the inside. So pretty cool. Yeah. But so as I said, we've got a pretty long episode. This is gonna be and I'm sorry guys, I will apologize right now. Um like I said last episode, I wanted to make Travis Walton a little bit different than what you hear on other podcasts or even documentaries. Um there's a lot left out on these that I feel is pertinent. Um and most people have time limits, not us, because we could give three shits if you're bored. Yeah, you could just stop listening and pick it up later. And, no one says you got to listen to it in a sitting. In all honesty, people come to listen to Burton mm -hmm. say the most random shit ever. I never say that. Yep, never. Random shitness. I'm usually pretty straight laced and I stick to what we're talking about normally. Yeah, just remember to speak in front of your mic. <laughs> I'll speak in front of your mic, motherfucker. I hope so. But anyways, so onwards. So we left off the last episode on the revived search efforts that started up again on Saturday, 11, 8. And that was because the family stopped the search on that Friday, 11, 7, just because nothing had been found. This next paragraph is sponsored by Bud Bushlight. Bud Bushlight? <laughs> Bud Bushlight. So the next morning, both Big D and Big Mike and Big Mike's brother Dwayne went down to Holbrook. I'm just going to give everybody big. We'll call him Big Dwayne. <laughs> went down to Holbrook to speak with Sheriff 
uh, big Sheriff Gillespie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna stop doing that. <laughs> I like it, Zool. Yeah, Just keep doing it. Well, big moth here. We're gonna call TJ. I didn't meant to say it earlier, but we're gonna start referring to TJ as Moth, not Tim or Tim Jim, but Moth or Mothy for short. You're that's, not in the whole brevity. It's longer thing. than moth, though. The mothy, I was going to say mothy if you're not into the whole brevity, brevity. So anyway, Mike, Big D, Dwayne, they went down to speak with Sheriff Gillespie about reinstating the search again. Only this time, the search was more extensive. They brought in some choppers, a small plane, men on horses, horses on men, and some more people. Maybe not the horses on men. Fuck. What if that they was were, after the search. They had minotaurs. <laughs> like, don't mind those guys. They're just mystical creatures. They're helping. <laughs> <laughs> the goat man people. Yeah, don't mind those Netflix. either, okay? They pay their taxes out here. And they're getting desperate. All hands on deck. Find Travis. Even the aliens are out there looking for him and they've got <laughs> Hey, wait a minute. Where could they be? We don't know where he is. Where is Travis? Hey. Hey, aren't you the fuckers that took him? No, no. We've never heard of no. such a person. Look, we have mustaches. Who is Javarius Walton? <laughs> I hate you. Oh, Javarius Wanton, his full name. It's his Christian name. Yeah. That's his his mom. His, his mom given name. Trouble. <laughs> so by this time, news had gotten out about Travis being sexually abducted. Um, <laughs> Was he Epstein too? Call, yeah. Uh, calls had started to flood into the sheriff's department and family members of Travis. So obviously, most were prank calls or people just trying to find out more information. There was a lot of the last bit, just random people who weren't necessarily associated with like news operations. Like, hey, what's happening with Travis? Can you tell me? <laughs> They're like, who the fuck are you? He's like, I'm Jim from down the road. They're like, get the fuck off the phone, Jim. And they get a call back. It's like, uh, this is uh, this is not Jim from uh, Jim TV and uh, doing a story on uh, uh, shit. Like, get the fuck out of here, Jim. This is Tina. Tina, you sound just like Jim. I, I know. I just got off the phone with Jim. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're cousins. This is Jim. Some guy named Jim calling over and over again. Big Jim. So, fast forward slightly from the gym to a uh, big William Spalding of an organization. Brown Saucer Watch of Phoenix. Weird the way my voice did that. <laughs> so, William had landed boots on the ground about that time. His group had found some concentrated traces of electromagnetic readings in and around a scrap pile. And that's the same pile that uh, Mr. Geiger Counterman uh, refused to scan when he was weirdly lurking around the abduction site. Mr. Geiger! <laughs> da, da, da. What went on in that scrap pile? <laughs> Spalding suggested that the excess of electromagnetic shit in the area was possibly due to some anti-gravity propulsion system. There were also residual traces of ozone in the area, 
which many equate those residual traces to ionizing radi radiation exposure, uh, which explains why unknown men were walking around with Geiger counters in the first place. The search extended on Sunday to a wider area. Planes began to search the areas where they had already searched, as did the ground crews. On Sunday, November 9th, law enforcement continued to search the air, search for Travis, only widening even more than before. The men on horseback and the horses on manback covered the covered ridge after ridge, you know, going further. And the helicopter circled even wider and wider while planes crisscrossed the area several times. The search was even broadened to cover the rugged terrain south of the Apache Indian Reservation. The diligent rescue teams combed mile after mile of that forested mountain terrain until a late afternoon request by Walton's mother to end the search again. A horsey man back. She's like, I don't know if I agree with using such unsavory characters to search for my boy. Mm. <laughs> and the minotaurs are like, come on. Or not minotaurs. What are they called? Centaurs. Cent yeah. Yeah, minotaurs. Minotaur part bull. Part bull. Yeah, min yeah, they wouldn't oh. be able to talk. They'd be like. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. So what is it? Uh, what movie is it where they where, um cuts off his dick the mentor's dick is that um oh oh your highness bless it yes your highness that's what i was thinking of that's a great movie cut off a minute a minotaur's dick yeah um what's yeah. his face dude okay uh god bless it my brain is so mush from sitting in class all day um dude from east bound and east down and east bound and down danny mcbride Danny McBride, there you go. Boom. He cuts off oh, a Minotaur's dick in that movie. Nice. Nice. Yep. I say we won't tell the Minotaurs that are searching. Well, they're not Minotaurs. But the Centaurs might have a soft spot for Minotaurs. So we won't tell them about Danny McBride cutting off one's dick. <laughs> After extensive searching, nobody thought Walton was lost in the wilderness at that point. That night, Dwayne, after mostly everyone had left the search area except for the family and the logging crew, uh, old Dwayne looked up to the sky and while looking deep into the cosmos said out loud, could Travis be up there somewhere? Holy shit. That's awesome. Yeah. He then responded with, yes, he must be up there. If he is out there somewhere, he's probably having the experience of a lifetime. It's so, it's kind of melodramatic, you know. <laughs> Gary glazing out of space. Yeah, he's probably up there getting some alien puss. Oh, we seen some alien barge titties. Oh man! By November tenth, stories of Walton's disappearance were being published throughout the U.S. The Uk also known as the UK, <laughs> and Canada. I love the us, uck, and Canada. Us, uck, and Canada. <laughs> that Monday morning, Mike and five other men went to Hallbrook for their lie detector tests. 
When the men arrived, they were greeted by reporters from newspapers, magazines, and even television. The men filed into a waiting room while waiting for Mr. Big Dick Gillespie and the examiner to arrive. Hmm. So you got to imagine, try to imagine, close your eyes, touch yourself a little bit if you want, if you want, you don't have to. How does touching yourself help with imagining? Already am. I have been this whole time. Burton, you're naked. That doesn't fucking count. (laughs) (laughs) Naked in a hotel chair, too. My balls are like... Oh, my gosh. The act of scratching your leg is touching yourself in this sense. You know how many people sat naked in that chair? I know. I already jerked off on the... Because I do that now. (laughs) (laughs) Is that how, like, you claim your space for your dog fucking... Mark in your territory. That's one of the only things they don't. Well, not the only things, but it's, you know, I like to jerk off on things they don't clean before somebody else shows up. Being naked in hotel rooms. Awesome. I'm just going to say that. The headboard is full of handprints and I promise they're not mine. So that's fucking weird. Yeah, no, no. Why would you promise us that? I think like we give a shit. It's like there's an imprint of somebody's face. So either oh. a ghost has been here or somebody got real right before I got in here. <laughs> Probably a scary movie too, actually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I watched that last night. It was on TV when I turned it on. I was so excited. Oh, if I would have known you f- would have been here, I would have freshened up. I wish you would have freshened up too, honey. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Mrs. Kane. Mrs. Big Daddy Kane. That's my... Oh, man. All right. So after that, keep touching yourself. And imagine yourself in a tiny room with a bench uh, right next to an entranceway. Well, Big Mike, his crew, Big D, and some of his big crew and Big D, and some of his crew's big family were all jammed tight in that room. And if it wasn't, if that wasn't bad enough, the media followed the people inside this room and into the hallway, still trying to ask questions of the family. A lot of big people in a room. The room was packed tight, and the reporters were still trying to jam their way in. Everyone shouting questions at times, ass to butt, butt to ass. And reporters still kept trying to come into the fucking room. It was like, uh, (laughs) oh, have you guys seen World War Z, where all the zombies are like climbing over each other? Sort of like that. <laughs> and I'm not sure about you guys, but if I was in there and I like had to sit in that with like screaming voices and nobody giving a shit about anybody else's private like space, that fucking pissed me the shit off. Mm. I have a hard time with that. Yep. Mm. Yep. yep. Oh, I'm guessing it was an emotionally charged day for the family, considering all everything that happened. Plus bunch of pushy dicks hey get your penis out of my back (laughs) is that a penis in my pocket (laughs) i sure hope so Uh, (laughs) (laughs) but it was an emotionally charged day for the family and the crew involved uh with walton's abduction the media thinking that the men travis worked with actually killed him then suppose they may have thought they cut off travis's skin and decide to walk around with their dicks tucked in like some kind of Buffalo Bill montage. Not a montage. 
what's the word when you're like honoring or like homage 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 Homage. that's what i was trying homage it's as if you would have continued breeding (laughs) god damn barton jr i always like to say homoge oh man up till this point many people around the u.s and even locally thought perhaps travis was killed by the men specifically that one shifty dallas fuck that tried to drop a tree on him alan dallas good catch god damn you may have a tiny dick but you can't use it at times Mm -hmm. it works it's just (laughs) tiny the crew became more fidgety irritated this was due to a few factors one waiting for the examiner and the sheriff Two, the overcrowded super tight waiting room and the barrage of questions the reporters had been incestually asking incessantly <laughs> those are some incestual questions I was like, should I put that word in there? Because I know Burton's going to fucking say ancestral just to fuck with us. <laughs> the, and the barrage of questions reporters have been insatiably asking. But you got it wrong three times. So, oh, Big Mike, have you ever had sex with Travis? Insensitively asking. <laughs> What's the word? Yeah. Incessantly. I've never heard that. No, is that a real word? Uh, it's, uh, you know, like. Uh, Consistent, persistent. Ins- I'm going with incest. Incestingly. Hey, Mike, did you fuck your cousin? (laughs) Sure did. What has nothing to do with this? (laughs) How'd you know? Hey, hey, we're first cousins. And third. And third. (laughs) (laughs) One of the reporters yelled in a sarcastic tone. Hey! Are you the ones that think I don't know what I'm trying to sound like. Huh. I really just like threw into that one. I don't. I sound like somebody that. drink Mountain Dew for a living right there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, are you the guys, the ones who think they saw little green men? <laughs> one of the crew responded with stick it. He should have said eat it. I was going to like Beastie Boys. <laughs> Alan's mother was then overheard to say, You know, like when we we're talking, when we were talking uh, this morning, I've heard that the government tries to hush up UFO reports. You should be careful. Which this will come <laughs> into play here in a little bit. Careful you shall be. What the fuck? I think his mom's Yoda. Yes! (laughs) Careful you should be. UFO reports. They shall hush you. (laughs) That's our weekly news with Yoda. Please tune in next week. (laughs) It's like a Kermit Yoda. (laughs) I heard the government. It's not easy being green. So the men started preparing to leave. When old Sheriff Gillespie and another man, assumed to be the examiner, walked into the room. The sheriff escorted the six 
crewmen, and Big D into the room where there were tables, chairs, benches for the man to sit at. Before the exam started, the sheriff explained the rules to the guys and then introduced the feller that was going to be doing the uh, lie detector test, Cy Gilson. Apparently, Gilson was an Arizona Department of Public Safety polygraph examiner. What a perfect name for a polygraph examiner. Cy Gilson. If only it was Sly Gilson. Oh, I think Cy's Sly. a badass name, dude. It's Sly Cy Gilson down here with the lie detector man. He could have a show right now. He sounds like a bad dude in a Western. Cy sounds like a man that you know he's firing on both balls. Mm-hmm. Like he's, he's coming, coming out of the gate with an erection with both balls and he's just shooting. Pew, pew, pew. I think he'd have a show on TLC called Lie Detector Man. And he'd just like, <laughs> don't you lie he'd, with Cy. Don't you lie with Cy, Zach. <laughs> right after my 800-pound life. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, you lie, you, you lie, you die with Cy Gilson. Then they could have a crossover episode. He interviews the 800-pound beauties. <laughs> did you eat the Twinkie? No, no. No, of course not. I threw it into Get the... Get out the shotgun. <laughs> Pump it twice into her lungs because the first time ain't gonna kill her. <laughs> Jesus Christ! I'm sure he pumped it a couple times. These are these are desperate measures. You guys ever get hairs that you can't find that tickle your face? Yeah, like the mustache hair that curls up into your nose. Yeah, but it feels like it's in my eyeballs. Weird. It's like underneath that. my glasses. After the pleasant introductions, Alan, our favorite tree dropping hothead, asked the sheriff. How do we know if we can even trust this guy? We heard the government's always trying to hush these kind of things up. How do we know they're not going to rig these lie detector tests? Gilson became upset and told Alan that if he was telling the truth, it would be in the chart. Then Gilson said, If you're lying, I'll find that out too. Mike then chided in and told Gilson that his guarantee didn't mean shit. Gilson then asked Mike, what his problem was, and then again asked Mike another question. Are you lying? Mike responded with an emotional. Hell no, we're not lying! (laughs) The intensity of the anxiety and fear was so palpable. 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 So palpable that it began to rise to the surface. Big D... Asked Gilson if they could record the interview and then use a psychological stress evaluation to confirm the lie detector tests. Gilson became outraged, and that was when the levy broke, like New Orleans. Oof, spicy take. If it keeps on raining, levy's gonna rain. You know that song. Old Gilson started to yell, and then everyone else started yelling as well at this point. And basically, it became a big shouting match. Most of the crew were about to walk out of the room, but that's when Sheriff Gil, Gillespie, calmed, the, uh, you know, came in and defused the situation. At this point, the men trusted that the sheriff wasn't bought off and wouldn't throw him under the bus. Or under the horsemen. Oh, fuck. Or the men horses. Oh. The men really trusted Sheriff at this point, and Mike 
uh, Big D appreciated how he didn't just outright blame them for Travis's disappearances, which, you know, everybody else pretty much was. Even people on the sheriff's department were blaming him. They're like, did you see Big D out there? He was chewing on something that looked like a penis. I think he chewed on. I think he chewed him up. Yeah, they ate him alive. You ate her? It's the perfect crime. My hat's <laughs> off to you, boys. <laughs> so, Steve was the first of the group to have the lie detector exam. It took two hours to complete. Jesus, and next, Alan was second. Alan entered the room already agitated and suspicious that Cy was, quote, bought off by the government. After a little more than an hour, Alan stormed out of the testing room, cursing the examiner, slamming the door behind him. I know that son of a bitch has been bought off, and he keeps acting like he thinks I killed Travis. I'm damn sure not lying. And if the bastard says I am, then I know he's the one who's lying. <laughs> that's good logic though really it's true if you say I'm lying if you say I raped that dog over there <laughs> and I know you actually raped that dog you're the one who raped it because I know I didn't rape it at... I don't know why more people aren't using that defense in court ah mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit he did the uh, he did the Allen defense you can't beat that that's a <laughs> That's like, I know you are, but what am I? Oh, fuck. Exactly. Can't yeah. Beat that. That's solid. You're a murderer. Well, I know you are, but what am I? Fuck. Well, shit. Drop the charges. I guess, uh, Judge, Judge, I guess I am the murderer, so I will, uh, I will, I will, uh, I will surrender myself to the court. Hands up. You're saying that I'm speeding? <laughs> I think you're the one that was speeding because you said I was speeding. Oh. And then the defense, or not the defense, the prosecutor's like, "Up, oh, I did it. He said I did it. Shit. And they're like, you're not the one even being charged. He's like, it's okay. Yeah, but he uh, said, you. I know you are, but what am I? And uh, I got nothing. I bet, that's, I bet that's happened somewhere. He's like, I didn't draw the reverse <laughs> card on Uno, so I had nothing to play there. <laughs> uh, the only thing that could beat that is I am rubber and you are glue. Oh, fuck. That mm-hmm. uh, trumps the uh, I know you are what am I defense? But anyway, nobody thought of that one. So Mike then realizing how much Alan storming off could fuck up just the, the the exam for everybody else in the public perception. So he went back to the testing room to explain to Cy that Alan's kind of a dick guy, you know? Yeah. 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 What can you do? He watches Oprah Winifrey in his spare time, and Oprah's not even on TV right now. So, <laughs> Mike explained that he's only became even more agitated since losing Travis and the sighting. Cy seeming like a pretty cool dude, said he understood. He didn't hold it against Alan. You know, it's a stressful time for everybody. And that was right there the moment when uh, Mike began to trust Cy realizing that he wasn't just trying to get one up over on the crew. He had nothing to gain from something like that. After that, the rest of the crew went through and were examined by Cy with no issues. And by the end of it, at the end of it, it had been like 13 hours that they'd been questioned and prodded. and, uh, And during which time, they were also not allowed to leave. 
So they all had to chill in this tiny area with Cy. And I didn't have to send there. They went and played. They had a basketball court outside and like a an area, a fenced in area that they went out and played basketball and like some of them were wrestling each other. Man, I miss when guys just wrestled each other. <laughs> it was like a playground with a bunch of toddlers. Like the they're out there yeah. shooting basketball in one area and the other guys are like, hey, I bet I can wrestle you. And I don't want to touch it, wrestle you. Keep putting your finger in my butt. <laughs> God damn it, Alan, I told you. <laughs> That's Alan's special move. <clears throat> but they're being filmed. To, oh, sorry. Now I was say, he either try to chop a tree down on top of you ever. He'll, he'll check your oil while he's wrestling you. But. Yeah, they were being filmed also by the camera crews out there. Yeah. But they couldn't talk about what they discussed during the polygraph. Like, no, I can't tell you about the aliens, but watch me, watch this jump shot. Well, yeah, no. All net. Um, but yeah, so home. Thirteen hours being questioned, playing some hoops, wrestling. Uh, by the end of it all, all the men had denied uh, doing anything uh, harmful. Uh, or doing anything to harm uh, old Traverius Wonton. <laughs> After all the examinations were completed, and before leaving, Mr. Big D and Big Mike approached Big Sai. Sai <laughs> <laughs> was hesitant about telling either the telling either the results, but promised to do so if they kept in mind that it was only preliminary and further scanning of the results needed to be done. He also asked them to not tell the media. Both the men agreed. Old Gill went on to state that uh, went on to state that going into the appointments, he had some preconceived notions to say the least about the situation and that he was going to ultimately try to figure out which of the loggers killed Travis. So he already figured, he already assumed that, you know, again, Murdar was involved. Gilson said that the initial assessment, this initial assessments of the uh, lie detector tests conclude that five of the men were actually being honest and the one and one of the six were was actually inconclusive. And can you guess which one of the six came back inconclusive? There's a there's a treat involved. God damn it, Alan! I told you, get your mouth off my dick. <laughs> I hear him. My mom told yeah. me that's how you keep aliens away. That was the oil man, Alan. Uh, what's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was the one with the inclusive test, without a doubt. Alan Dallas. That's a Dallas. quote from Gilson on the results of the polygraph. These polygraph examinations prove that these five men did see some object they believed to be a UFO and that Travis Traverius Wonton Walton was not injured or murdered by any of these men on that Wednesday, 
if the UFO was fake, five of these men had no prior knowledge of it. So, with the polygraph test being complete, Sheriff Gillespie announced that he had accepted the men's UFO story, saying, There's no doubt they are telling the truth. At this point, obviously, the men were kind of able to take a quick breath of relief in that, you know, they were initially cleared of any charges of homicide or skinning or wiener tucking. Fuck. Here, wiener tucking holds us a more severe penalty than <laughs> homicide. Yeah, you might have killed him and skinned him, but did you tuck his, did y'all tuck your wieners too? So that goes back to the homo side. <laughs> the charges there for wiener tuck is nowhere near as bad as what it is in Texas. Y'all buck almost nailed it. <laughs> That's what Texas would be like. Off to the death chair for you. And they're like, what the fuck's a death chair? Go over there. Oh, you're Where gonna we find send out. the gays. <laughs> we'll try to pray the gay away at first. We're going to cram something uncomfortable up your rectum. Oh, no, don't do that. Uh, that guy. <laughs> You're no longer gay. <laughs> I swear that one black guy's like, I'm no longer gay. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I'm not gay no more. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> they made that motherfucker smoke the whole pack. <laughs> and he's sitting there. You, I guarantee it. While he's not saying I'm not gay no more, he's like looking up dick pics, horse cocks or something like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes you gay. <laughs> I'm asking for Steve. Depends on the context. Well, Steve's the keeper of the three the custodian of the three dick rules, so he would know. <laughs> so, later that night around twelve AM AM, Allison Neff, who is Travis's sister, and her husband Grant Neff received a call from a number. Now this is back in the seventies, so there wasn't like any Oh, what's it called? Caller caller ID or any shit like that. Now, also remember, a lot of Travis's family members were receiving prank calls and shit. So Grant answered the phone. He was probably asleep. And he's expecting it to be nothing more than some prebubescent fucker on the line, you know, talking about how Travis was on the alien party barge getting blown by, you know, Bill Clinton's aunt or something like that. <laughs> Boy, I'm really including a lot of that in here. Yeah, Epstein's party barge. We do not know this fuck. Get him off our ship. <laughs> do you have any midget alien? I can't do a good uh I can't do a good uh good, good talkings. The aliens yeah. like bring uh, the guy that sounds like us up here with more beeps. Hello. Do you have any Alien midget pussy. Oh my god, <laughs> nailed it! <laughs> yeah, nailed something. Well, so when Grant looked at the receiver and stuck his ear up to it, he heard a voice say, He brought me back, and then said, I'm out here in Eber. He's get somebody to come and get me. Grant told the person that they had the wrong. <laughs> Grant told the told. <laughs> told the told. 
<laughs> Listen, told. I done told you. <laughs> Don't tell me. <laughs> Don't tell me what they told you. God damn it. I'm the one telling you. Don't tell me what the told told you. <laughs> Since you're telling me, that means that you're the one that told me. Since I'm telling you. <laughs> Grant. <laughs> so Grant told the person on the other line that they had the wrong number. And he began to hang up when the voice shouted, Wait, it's me, Travis. Travis Traverius Wonton Walton. The third. Oh, shit. He got his nuts at. No one knows that. God, I hope somebody in the across the hall is listening to this podcast. Like, what the fuck is this? So, <laughs> as I did a sorry, I doesn't have to be in the episode, but I did I did one from Buffalo one year when I was traveling. Yeah, and that's yeah. I was like, man, because I was we. I think TJ and I were both really drunk, and I was like, we, yeah, we never released it. Hmm. Mm, real good, <laughs> real good. <laughs> All right, time in. So I wonder if Grant was thrown off when Travis, you know, was talking about alien nipples and the lack of a steak and shake, you know. He's like, they dropped me off. God damn it. That was no fucking party barge like I thought it was. There's no strippers and no alien blow. And all they want to do was eat steak and shake. Because Grant's like me. He's a digger. <laughs> What the fuck? I want to say that for a minute. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, you're going to dig in into some aliens. Nice. <clears throat> I love Jurassic Park. It's a good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, the Grant was super fucking skeptical at this point, but he did want to find out uh, if Travis was indeed in Heber at the Exxon station. I offered a waiter three George Washingtons to open up happy hour again tonight. He didn't accept. Three bucks. Yeah. Like, I, was yeah. Like, I was like, hey, is it still happy hour? And he's like, no, it ended 10 minutes ago. And I was like, well, maybe George Washington can change your mind. And his friend, George Washington. And his <laughs> and other friend, like, George Washington. like, he has two friends with him. And he's like, sorry, it's electronic. I can't change it. You should have pulled out some pennies and be like, maybe Lincoln can change your mind. <laughs> you ever heard of the Founding Fathers? <laughs> Grant told Travis to hold on, and Big D or Don, or Big Don, would be there to get him. Then the caller on the other end hung up. He's He's like, Hold on, big deal be down there. He's like, God damn it. And he's just talking about the aliens like he's a fucking grizzled Vietnam vet. He's like, they had me under blankets and they're offering me cocaine. Grant then drove to Snowflake and picked up, he pricked up, he picked up Travis's brother, Big D. Big D! We're going to assume that Snowflake is close to Heber. Right? Or is it in Heber? What's snow? Next snow to Heber. Arizona. Oh, <gasps> there, there it is! is! <laughs> that is a nice nipple. It looks oddly like mine. It's, it's so, his nipple, so it's dark. It's a dark nipple. 
I can't see anything. Jake, and as, and as quickly as he's there, he's gone. I just had Jake's uh, picture with Jill on it. That's all I seen. Oh, you uh, didn't see his nipple? No. He's got dark oh nipples. Oh my god, it was so awesome. <laughs> it's like a shooting star, but a nipple. So as quickly as you see it, it fizzles off into the distance. So for those of you who don't know, Jake uh, magically just appeared. Oh, we use Facebook after Messenger. After Zool had made a comment about it. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Now it's an episode, guys. Now it's an episode. We had the, sp- <laughs> we had the spirit of Jake Hahn, coach. We got Bless guys. us with his presence. Both didn't believe it was actually Travis, but they didn't want to run the risk that it was, so they left. Heber was around 33 miles from Snowflake, so they should have been able to get there with haste. Dwayne and Grant pulled up to the Exxon and observed a man similar looking to Travis with a six o'clock shadow curled up in the phone booth. They approached cautiously then we're overjoyed to discover is actually Travis. On the way home, Travis would try to explain what he saw, such as those eyes, those horrible eyes. Travis began to sob while continuing to attempt to speak. Travis told Big D during one of his sobbing fits. <laughs> they were awful. White, white snake. Great big eyes. I'm talking like brown eyes or pink eyes? Brown eyes. Don't make my brown eyes blue. <laughs> Travis told Big D and Grant. If it's after midnight, I must have been unconscious for a couple hours. Because I only remember about an hour or an hour and a half. Hour and a half inside that thing. Big D then told Travis to fill his face. Travis was pretty fucking shocked to realize he had a week's worth of beard hair. Travis told the guys that he actually remembered shaving that morning and didn't understand how the fuck it was growing back so fast. Big D then turned around and looked at Travis and said, you've been missing for five days, buddy. Let me tell you that Travis was... Really blown away by the fact that he had been missing five days. Whoa. Pretty much. He's like, what? What are you telling me? And he kept filling his beard, too. Like, ooh. Ah. Like, I can hear him like Keanu Reeves. Like, whoa. (laughs) He's been missing for five days, huh? Yep. So Big D and Big Grant (laughs) took Travis to their... Big Travis. Nah, just normal Travis. Everyone else is big. <laughs> average took to, Travis. Average Travis took, took, took average Travis to their big mom's home. Big mama's house. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> oh, took average Travis. <laughs> I have Trav. Have Trav to Big Mama's house. <laughs> so, for those of you who don't know, Big D and Grant took Travis to his mom's house. I think that's what Skylar was trying to say. 
Thank you for translating the stupid. <laughs> oh, so Big Big D instructed Travis to change out of his work clothes and put on some clean ones because he smelled like a turkey's asshole. And if you know, you know. Turkey, if you know what a turkey's asshole smells like, yeah. Please let us know at lunchpailboys at gmail.com. While changing, Big D happened to observe a single reddish dot on the inside of his brother's right elbow. Travis was unaware of how he received it, not being able to recall if he was punctured or injected with some kind of air alien heroin. Them frogs are trying to turn me gay. Those alien frogs are trying to turn me gay with their gay heroin. There were also no other abrasions or lesions or cuts on Travis. So uh, Big D did what any big brother would do. He took Travis's clothes and put them in a bag and set them off to the side for possible future <laughs> examination. So Travis was extremely fucking hungry and thirsty. Staying on an alien party barge was hard. Five days partying with aliens, man. He probably not eating much. Just binging, binge, binging alien heroin and cocaine and fucking alien strippers. Hold on. So a lot of the alien human, there's a lot of alien human sex, a lot of alien margaritas, mm. alien pizza, but God damn it, no steak and shake. <laughs> he, he was thinking, how can you call yourselves a legitimate group of alien abductors when you can't even fucking get any steak and shake? He's like, we're not buying. They're like, we're not buying you steak and shake. You already did all of our blow. So they dropped him off at the fucking Exxon station. They went on to get some fucking like triple stat, triple, you know, triple steak burgers. We asked for fries. <laughs> What'd you say, Burton? It's it's funny they dropped him off at the Exxon station. Something strange is afoot at the Exxon station. Traverius was so hungry that he ate a metric shit ton of cookies. Then he drank some water. And then he polished off a thing of cottage cheese. Ugh. Apparently, while Travis was on the spaceship, he also forgot what foods go together. <laughs> I think you're just fucking hungry as shit, though. You have to be really hungry to eat cottage cheese. I dip my cookies in cottage cheese. Travis didn't feel good, so Hems went to back to his he didn't feel to lie down. Because he ate cookies and cottage cheese until he... His belly was hurting. <laughs> Travis didn't sleep. Anytime he closed his eyes, all he could see were those steak and shake eating some bitches. That'd be horrible. I mean, imagine if that is our, like, contribution to, uh, to the universe. And, like, that's why aliens are coming here, is steak and shake. How did they get those fries so skinny? Dude, I love Steak and Shake. A lot steak of shake is on fucking it, good. It's amazing. No, I love Steak Shake. That fat one keeps talking about their burgers. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Steak Shake's good. It's a goodie. And if any of you listeners out there glean anything from our podcast besides us being giant fucking idiots... It's that I tried to incorporate steak and shake into any of our alien abduction, and it's going to continue into the future. Just know. One day we're going to do a live episode of Steak and Shake. 
Are they still open 24? They, they used to be open like 24 not, hours. I don't think they are anymore. Nothing is. Nothing's open 24 hours Fucking anymore. Fucking COVID. Goddamn COVID ruined the world. Goddamn Fauci. Goddamn. Yeah, that was his ultimate goal. I think it was all, it's all a thing. It's just to try to fuck the aliens over. I thought you were going to say his whole thing was to stop Steak and Shake from serving 24-7. No, it's the, well. Yeah, it, well, it was. It was. It was to to prevent aliens from coming because when do they show up? Usually at night. Yeah. So now they got to come during the day, and now you know that's why everyone's seeing them. You're about to have a rebellion on your hand on my end because why do you think there were aliens in the Miami, the the Bayside Mall there or whatever? I don't think they have steak and shakes down there. They were well, dude. There's a lot of aliens in Miami. They were missing four. <laughs> Oh, that's staying in there nice from Burton. Yeah, except not all of them came over on spaceships. They just came over on ships. Most of them came over on rafts. Ships, ships made out of plastic milk jugs. Oh, Jesus Christ. That, I'm glad I wasn't drinking a, anything when that happened because uh, there'd be some some spray happening. That's all women say about Burton when they see him naked. <laughs> Glad I wasn't drinking anything. <laughs> A lot of spray happens. <laughs> I, don't... I don't know. Uh, back to our story. <laughs> Neither Travis nor his mother nor his brother <laughs> felt that it was acceptable to speak with the press or law enforcement. So Big D, Big D decided to take Travis to a doctor in Phoenix to be evaluated. After arriving in Phoenix, Big D called Sheriff Dizzy Gillespie <laughs> and let him know that Travis had come back. But he told the sheriff that he took, uh, took Travis to Tus Tuscon. Tuscon? Tucson. Tucson. Jesus Christ. I, can't. I always call it Tuxin. Tuxin. Tuxin wieners. Better tuck them. I already have some. Uh, and so Texas, he told the sheriff. I'd be considered gay. <laughs> I know you're gay. I can see it in your eyes. I can see it in the back of your drawers. It's tucked. Yeah. <laughs> you're either shit in your pants or that's a tucked dick. Is that a monster can you're smuggling in the back? <laughs> Uh, sir, you have to declare all monster cans. You can't just shove them in your pants. And they go rooting around back there like, oh, that's definitely not a monster can. I've never seen a short monster can. Hmm. <laughs> I make short buses. Why not short monster cans? Well, that's fair. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Big D told the sheriff that he actually took Travis to Tucson to see a doctor. He then contacted the Phoenix-based UFO researcher that, has, that he had spoken to earlier in the week. That's Mr. Spaulding. William fucking Spaulding. He was a part of the what? Ground saucer watch of Phoenix. <laughs> Spaulding instructed the men to go to a Dr. Lester Steward. <laughs> Mo Lester. I would never go to a doctor named with oh, the first name Lester. No. Also, was a doctor was spelled with a K. <laughs> what is this, a Mortal Kombat doctor? Yeah, probably. 
finish him. Is that Spanish for Mortal Kombat? Yeah, Spanish Mortal Kombat. I didn't mean to roll the R's, but I did. I didn't mean there to be R's in there personally, but you know, you just roll with it sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. You might not have. (laughs) You might not have agreed to go to this doctor with a K, but Big D did. I mean, he was under the impression that Dr. Stewart was an actual MD, and it wasn't the case. So when Travis and Big D arrived at the doctor's office, and office, we'll say that loosely for right now, they had something happen to him, which I feel like all of us can identify with, both listeners and you two dipshits here. (laughs) The duo pulled up to the address and found a doctor's office to be in a bad part of town. And on top of that, it wasn't even in a medical complex. As both men looked around, sitting in the truck before exiting, they saw a dog eating another dog's corpse, dragging it into the shadows. And the glint of light reflecting off needles and meth pipes, which was originating from the dim street lamp that someone had been hanging from. Is that straight from the book? Nope. Yeah, I was just thinking it was like, a, you know, like a strip mall between a a liquor store and a, like a check cashing place, but that's much worse. I was trying to highlight the fact that this place, like, they said it's fucking bad. Um, so that's the picture I had in my head. The doctor's office actually appeared to be an old abandoned derelict hotel. Both men would later learn that the hotel was. Pretty well known for drugs and whores. Nice. Travis and his brother eventually found an office door. I don't know if the office door was attached to anything. I'm assuming it was, but it could have just been like nailed up across. (laughs) (laughs) Just just laying on the ground. Yeah. Shitty shitty door that someone wrote on with marker. Uh, Well, and it had the doctor's name. The sign said, uh, Dr. Lester Stewart, hypnotherapist. Ooh. It's in Sharpie on a piece of copy paper. <laughs> I don't know if the, the the Sharpie on carbon paper would be as bad as seeing hypnotherapist, though, when you're expecting an MD and you're told it's an MD. Uh, yes. It's like I wasn't turned off by anything else up to this point, but uh, hypnotherapist. That's where I draw the line. The two whores out in the hallway doing 69 while standing up, that didn't bother me as much as <laughs> hypnotherapist on the door. Uh, yeah, the dead hooker in the hallway wasn't a dead giveaway, but I think this guy might be full of shit here. Hypnotherapist. The dog shooting up meth over <laughs> by the restroom wasn't a bad thing. I don't even know how a dog shoots up meth, but... I won't go argue with him. I didn't take any from him either. Now, upon entering the room, Big D said he knew something was amiss at this point. <laughs> <laughs> the room was hotter than balls. And looked like a doctor's office that belonged in the third and somewhere in the third world. I don't know. Like, is it? Like I think I've been to this paper? doctor's office. <laughs> it's like a doctor's office in Rwanda or something like that. So like, uh, yeah, like like stray dogs, like 
running around chewing on like needles and the stray dog's actually the receptionist <laughs> tucson in the 70s was probably like modern day mexico yeah my name is big d i'm, I'm here to see a, a, a doctor Doc- child molester dr lester child molester steward uh hypnotherapist i don't think this receptionist can understand me as i was a stray dog that's the smells me being a stray dog like chewing on a rum ham or something right this way sir i just imagine that in my fucking head though the, the dog's just drooling and he's like i don't <laughs> Sir, I, I I'm trying to give you my information. Here's my insurance card. Like, ah, he revs ah, it up. <laughs> ah, uh, okay, I guess. I mean, you're gonna take a. You're gonna. Okay, you're not gonna make a copy of it, I guess. <laughs> I can always print me another one. It's okay, dog. <laughs> so old uh, Big D asked Doctor Stewart if he was an MD. At first, this little dick pincher of a man said. Yes, but not licensed to practice in Arizona. <laughs> God damn it. I just got hard. <laughs> so when pressed on this point, the would-be doctor confessed that he had actually wasn't a doctor and he had been a medic in the Marine Corps and then reluctantly explained that his rights to the title of doctor with a vague reference to a degree that he had received in school. So, PhD, not MD. And it's probably for like University of Phoenix or University of Cat Tongue. They have a dive a PhD in uh, feral dog. Husbandry. Husband. <laughs> ah, I can jerk off a dog with the best of them. Look at these hands. These are built for speed. <laughs> I can jerk two dogs off at once. There ain't much power in them, but boy, I can you lube them up and I'll go to town. <laughs> yeah, they're small, but it's perfect for my profession. Now, what Big D was expecting Stewart to do was, you know, like a thorough investigation of Travis. <laughs> but Dr. Stewart and, I'll, you know, We'll reiterate, doctor with a K. Finish uh, him! <laughs> had neither the resources nor the facilities to do so because his office was a derelict hotel room with a feral dog as his receptionist. <laughs> and uh, apparently he has a PhD in bone jerking dogs off or something. <laughs> so, Pass your semen on to the, <laughs> to the dog up front. So needless to say, needless to say, uh, you know, this wasn't the visit that Travis anticipated. <laughs> so, uh, so Dr. Stewart to- told both men that he had a colleague who would, would indeed assist them with an examination. So Stewart called the actual medical doctor. But the doctor didn't remember a Dr. Steward and refused to do the examination. <laughs> Can you imagine, like, I know somebody, let me call him. And then that guy's like, who the fuck is this? <laughs> what happened? That's the guy that, is that the homeless guy that came up to me in the 
in the uh what do they got out there they got the uh shop right oh, what do they got there uh fucking uh safeco safeco whatever they came up to me in the grocery store parking lot talking about jerking dogs off hey phil come over and listen to this this uh dog jerkers on the phone again <laughs> he's referring people to me <laughs> 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 he lures us in. <laughs> oh, fuck me. Oh, so it was at this point. <laughs> it was at this point that Stewart became a little skeptical. Or sorry, it was at this point that Big D had grown a little skeptical of Stewart. Oh, finally. <laughs> yeah. And the fact that his quote-unquote colleague didn't know him. So, at this so, you know, him and Travis at this point left immediately. <laughs> the dog's chasing him out asking for the bill <laughs> you didn't come yet you didn't come yet <laughs> you gotta let him jerk you off that's how he heals you i just imagine he's gonna make you better travis is, or big uh steward's like I've still got both hands for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I just kept imagining that in my mind. I could get the dog with my mouth. I got two hands here, you know. That's how that's how hey, that's how skilled I am as a in a PhD form. <laughs> you learn how to use everything you can. Red rockets. Yum. <laughs> <laughs> Upon returning home. Captain Spaulding contacted Big D and begged for him to come back and be jerked off and evaluated. Spaulding then asked if he would be willing to meet with Dr. J. Allen Hynek. He agreed, but then he changed his mind. Big D was pretty upset that Spaulding sent his brother to a hypnotist initially instead of a <laughs> medical doctor. Big D told Spalding that he and his brother didn't want anything to do with the ground saucer watch. Ground saucer watch. I'm not going to lie. I don't think Big D was really impressed with the level of communication between ground saucer watch and its members. But Big D and Travis would regret not speaking to J. Allen Hynek. And Actually, I don't think either one knew who J. Allen Hynek or J. Allen Hynek was at that time, which for Zul and Burton and our listeners, J. Allen Hynek was actually the head of Project Blue Book, the government project to investigate the UFO phenomenon and uh, investigation needs to be like in big quotation marks. Because the whole project was nothing but saying UFOs were swamp gas and Burton's ass. Mm. This is obviously a case of too much Mexican food. <laughs> That's the curse of the floating brown eye. Burton must be near. <laughs> <laughs> so after the brothers rejected him, old Spaulding went on, uh, went on to the news and began to malign Travis uh, and his brother. That son of a bitch can't take rejection. And he's also kind of a spiteful little see you next Tuesday. Sure. Or cunt. That is a dickhead move, dude. When somebody tells you no and then you start go talking shit about him. 
both him and Lester did that. And nobody pointed out that Lester was like, had a PhD or it was a doctor, but actually didn't have a doctorate. And it was like from the university of Groundworms. It's like, we got all kinds of good members in this organization. We got the dog jerker and we got the, uh, you know, well, there's the dog over there. <laughs> we got the guy that milks bats over here. <laughs> Never seen a bat titty, but he still milks it. We don't question a gift horse. <laughs> we don't look a gift horse in the mouth or something like that. I can't remember. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, the morning of the, so on the morning of November 12th, Travis went to an actual doctor and had x-rays, EKGs, EEGs, laser beams, blood samples, semen samples taken from him. They got laser, blazer, and Lord, what's he say? How's the other azers? Thank you, Dodgeball. Later that afternoon, Big D received a call from Sheriff Gillespie. At this point, the sheriff was pretty pissed that Big D didn't call him when Travis was found, and the sheriff insisted that he see Travis so he could close out the missing person file. Later that evening, after all the exams, oh, Sheriff Gillespie went over to Travis, or I think it was Big D's house, and spoke with Travis. Travis said that he was upset and had a hard time from keeping from breaking down. Travis said one way to keep from like breaking down and crying and just acting like wigging out was he kept his answers really short so he could limit the number of times he thought of the little gray fuckers. Travis did volunteer for a lie detector test, but the sheriff told him that he would set up one, but it wasn't going to, he wasn't going to tell the media at that time. The sheriff felt that Travis may have been too fragile at that moment for media exposure, which again, Sheriff Gillespie seems like a decent guy in this. The sheriff may have not said anything, but someone released the info to the media because reporters were beating off his brother. <laughs> reporters were beating on his brother's windows and his doors non-stop wanting to speak with him. On November 13th, Travis and Big D were approached by a one Mr. Paul Jenkins with the National Enquirer regarding their story. Both were skeptical, but Paul told the men that they had legitimate reporters and also would be able to gather people from the APRO, or Aerial Phenomena Research Organization. APRO. APROPO. Yep, APROPO. So APRO had some legitimate credibility, and they also had credible doctors and other associates. And I don't believe they had one single feral dog on staff. <laughs> Travis, like, how many feral bats do you have? Um, none. I mean, we did see that little Polynesian feller in the back milking that bat somehow. <laughs> Travis decided he would meet the National Enquirer and APRO. So the men drove to Tucson that night to meet with Dr. James Harder and director of APRO, Jim Lorenzen. Dr. Harder was a pretty famous hypnotherapist at that time who told Travis that he would like to help him at some point in the future. Fuck me harder, James. 
Wait, now he's like, on the count of three, you're going to say fuck me harder, James, please. <laughs> it's a hypnotherapy joke. I'm sorry. We'll cut that out. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were telling me to say it again. You no. <laughs> The morning of November 14th, Travis and Big D went back home to change some clothes. And then we're about to head to Holbrook to take a polygraph. But right before the men left, a reporter called the house. This reporter asked for an interview uh, before he went in. Uh, was asked, you know, The reporter asked for an interview before he went in for his polygraph. And Dwayne and Travis were pissed about this, both believing their sheriff, uh, that the sheriff had told the press about the examination, which up to this point would have been out of character for the usually upstanding sheriff. Little did either know that Sheriff Gillespie had asked Cy the polygraph man to keep the interview on the down low hmm. and told Cy that he didn't want the vultures, known as the press, to catch wind of it. Old Sly Sai went on to explain that when he drove to Holbrook that morning, he was being followed by some reporters. He thought he had lost them. And when he went into town, but apparently he didn't do a good enough job. Which that's, that's, I don't know if that's just par for the course or I don't know if that's shitty or not. Would you say? Not what? on Cy or the sheriffs, but like the the reporters. I mean, it's Just part of the course. Do their job. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Fuck them. They killed fucking uh, that princess die. I thought that was a royal family. It's probably Epstein, actually. So mm. I'm gonna get so many references in. Travis didn't go to the polygraph. I mean, understandably, both him and fucking Big D are pretty pissed. And instead, they drove up to Tucson again to speak with Jim Lorenzen and Dr. Harder. At the meeting with both uh, the Inquirer fellow, oh, Paul Jenkins, offered to pay for the polygraph, but they were going to do it through a private firm. Dr. Harder told Travis that he was still extremely emotional and stressed when discussing the abduction. And as a result, Dr. Harder warned that any test taken now, so soon after such an ordeal, was likely to come up inconclusive at best. Uh, Dr. Harder explained that a polygraph measures stress, not lies, not lies per se, right? Yeah. Their emotional response to the questions, not the, uh, not like a little light bulb that clicks on and off when you tell the fib, tell the fib, told a fib. After you fib the tell. If you're telling me that I fibbed, then you're the one that fibbed. If you get a boner, you're lying. Mm -hmm. Fuck, I'm lying like 98% of the time then. Well, call me Pinocchio. Call me Alfred Hitchcock. <laughs> I don't know what that means. Dr. Harder counseled that if a test was performed, the results not to be taken too seriously. Despite his advice, arrangements were made for a test. Dr. Harder explained the situation to the examiner, who agreed keep the results confidential if they turned out as Dr. Harder anticipated. And as you probably guessed, Dr. Harder predictions were correct and the test yielded stressful tracings. 
So the researchers actually scrapped that one. Later on that evening, on the 14th, Travis participated in a hypnotic regression session with Dr. Harder. The session was monitored by five PhDs, one stray dog, <laughs> and uh, Big D, along with the entire uh, National Inquirer, Inquirer crew. I don't think it was like everybody in their employment. <laughs> no, they were all there. <laughs> After the polygraph experiment on November 15th, Gene Rosenbaum, who was one of the PhDs present, stated in a press release to ABC TV News 3 of Phoenix. Our conclusion, which is absolute, is that this young man is not lying. That there is no conclusion involved. Our conclusion, which is absolute, is that this young man is not lying. That there is no collusion involved. No attempt to hoax or collusion of the family or anyone else. There is a rumor around that there are contracts. There are no such contracts. No motivation for a lie. The results of the test show that this is a person who has been going through a kind of life crisis, like we all do. For example, a death or divorce of any kind or anything like that. Or binging drugs on a alien party barge. For example, a death or divorce or anything of that kind. The results of psychiatric tests and hypnosis show he really believes these things and he's not lying. So now we're going to go into what Travis recalled while under hypnosis. Now... Doing the research for this, this is the first time I've read Travis's book, but I've listened to, like, on other podcasts and just, like, documentaries. So, and I never thought it was scary, so you guys may not think this is as scary as the abduction scene in Fire in the Sky. Well, but the abduction scene in Fire in the Sky was a little bit... Yeah. You know, a little out of sorts. I actually think this is scarier than that after reading it. And while, while I realize that some of our listeners fight bears in Alaska and some journey through the Ozarks with Bigfoot in tow and fear frequently eludes those men. But if you just take a second and truly listen to what Travis describes and put yourself in his shoes, holy fuck. I've had a few nightmares about like just what he's seen and how he felt over the last few nights. They're awesome. So the last thing that Travis remembers on earth was being zapped and then everything going black. So you don't go back. You go black. You can't go. Apparently Travis did. Yeah, he did. He's the exception. He came back. Perhaps he was in a wheelchair. (laughs) So Travis woke up weak and feeling great pain. Like he had been badly burned originating in his torso that seemed to emanate out travis stated in his book i was lying on my back i didn't try to move or even open my eyes at first i was weak so watery weak 
that I knew if I attempted to move even my arm, I'd lapse back into unconsciousness. Travis would go on to describe that he was unusually weak. That he had a metallic taste in his mouth like he'd just sucked off a roll of pennies. Ball bearings. Oh, some balls. He opened his eyes initially and everything up close was blurry. After a second or two, anything close he could see, but he was still having a hard time focusing on anything past the table. Travis looked above him and saw a light fixture bathing him and the immediate area in a soft white glow. Behind that was the ceiling that appeared to give off the look of a type of brushed metal. It was then that Travis realized he was on a metal examination table. He was wondering, how the fuck did I end up on this odd pl- or in this odd place? Once his memories flooded back, Travis still didn't remember what happened after being beamed, beamed, but initially thought he was just in a hospital. Travis felt something flat pressing down on his chest and side. His jacket and shirt was pushed up to his armpits and across exposing his side of midriff. That was when Travis looked down and saw the gray metal or plastic item. He wasn't really sure. That was like running right along his rib cage and extending up to his arm. He assumed it was some sort of support or something healing him. Just right past the table, there stood three figures. One on the left and two on the right. At this point, Travis's vision was still blurry. As his mind started to clear, Travis realized that he was actually in some kind of craft with some odd-looking creatures we would, at this point, all assume are aliens. Travis would describe the aliens as looking like they had thin bones and were, quote, were covered by white marshmallowy-looking flesh. They had no hair of any kind, and they were dressed in not very stylish, but a brownish-orange onesie-looking outfit. They had no belts on, nothing, no buttons, no insignias, nothing. Here's an excerpt from Travis's book that was an, that has an excellent description of what the three alien amigos looked like. Their bald heads were disproportionately large for their puny bodies. They had bulging, oversized craniums, a small jaw structure, and an undeveloped appearance to their features that was almost infantile. Their thin-lipped mouths were narrow. I never saw them open. Lying close to their heads on either side were tiny crinkled lobes of ears. Their miniature rounded noses had small oval nostrils. The only facial feature that didn't appear underdeveloped were those incredible eyes. Those glistening orbs had brown irises, twice the size of those of a normal human's eyes nearly an inch in diameter. The iris was so large that even parts of the pupils were hidden by the lids. Given the eyes were given the eyes a certain cat-like appearance. There was a very there was very little of the white part of the eye showing. They had no eyelashes and no eyebrows. The occasional blink of their eye was strikingly conspicuous. Their huge lids 
slid down over the glassy bubbles of their eyes, then flipped open again, like the release of roll-up window shades. That's a fucking pretty badass description. I think he was kidnapped by doctor and drugged by Dr. Stewart, (laughs) and these were his um, nurses that were made up of uh, some kind of, like, mutated feral dogs. (laughs) And they're all, like, sniffing at his, like... Sniffing at them like they're going to eat them. I agree. Travis would go on to say that the aliens look slightly reminiscent of a cave salamander. <laughs> Travis then recoiled instantly. These weird fuckers kept staring at him with their huge luminous brown eyes. <laughs> Travis didn't describe the aliens as being big when he initially observed them, so I assume he probably thought they were between like, you know, five, six feet. Not like you know, average height. Yeah. Not too big, not too small. Hysteria overcame Travis, and he struck out at the two aliens to his right, hitting one with the back of his arm and knocking it into the other one. Like we said a few minutes ago, Travis said several times, and even in the book up to this point, that he was weak as fuck when he woke up. So he would clarify that he didn't really hit the creature hard, just, and that was partly due to the lack of strength, and it was more of a push. Travis was able to cop a fill of the alien, stating, The one I touched felt soft through the cloth of its garment. The muscles in its puny physique yielded with a sponginess that was more like fat than you. Creature was light and had fallen back easily. Uh, do you even lift, brah? <laughs> Travis heaved himself up onto his feet. This action seemed too much for his weakened state, and he began to stumble backwards several steps against the wall. When he stumbled into the wall, Travis knocked several instruments to the ground along with the device that was on his chest and rib cage. Instruments there? Yeah. Like I think guitars a, and shit? Uh, it was like, I think a tuba. Yeah, tuba. What if he woke up and the aliens were doing like uh, Star Wars? Like the band in Star Wars? <laughs> no, I meant the band in the... Oh. I don't remember where they go, but when he goes in the bar and there's... Cantina? Yeah, the cantina. God damn. Good enough. That's a slapper, son. It's fucking bang. Banger, dude. Just getting getting jiggy with it. (laughs) That would be kind of cool. But, alas, these instruments were potentially keeping Travis alive. Or at least used to you know, probe him in various orifices. Travis recalled the device not being connected to him with any wires or tubes. This is the thing on his chest and rib cage. When it hit the ground, it uh, when it hit the ground, it rocked back and forth uh, for a few seconds. While rocking, he, he observed green beams of light emanating from the underside of it. Travis was leaning up against the wall his legs close to giving out any second. When the three creatures stepped up to him and started to reach out to him, Travis got a sudden rush of strength, which he equated to a cornered animal. Travis reached down and grabbed a glass-looking cylindrical item. Uh, He took that glass object, thinking it would break, and then he could use it to stabby-stab some of these alien fuckers. What what do we call that? Oh... Yeah, now that I think about it, my grandma was sort of a racist. She used to call uh, <laughs> broken beer bottles knives. So he hit the 18-inch item on the table that he had just been laying on, and it didn't break. So Travis hit it again and again, and the sumbitch still didn't break. 
Travis sort of got back into like a fighting stance and started swinging the unbreakable glass item all around screaming, that's my purse. I don't know you. (laughs) (laughs) Get away from me. What are you? Which is a more reasonable thing to scream. I mean, if you got an unbreakable glass thing, you know, it's like you might as well use it to, you know, beat someone with if you can't fashion some kind of crude uh, knife with it. Crude type of knife. Travis came up empty in his attempts and the aliens continued to reach out. And that was when Travis noticed they had no fingernails. Kind of an odd thing to notice in the heat Mm. of the moment. Their hands were small and delicate and also without hair. Their thin, round fingers looked soft and unwrinkled. Oh, my God. Their smooth skin was so pale, chalky like ivory. The skin was delicate and thin to a point of translucence, and Travis began to retreat at the sight while screaming, Keep back, damn you! You damn dirty marshmallow-looking aliens. Yes. (laughs) <laughs> Travis was backed into a corner and surrounded. He said he felt hopeless. Right when he started feeling that hopeless feeling, and they said he uh, sort of slunk down and crouched even more and started making, like, noises at it. I almost thought of, like, cat noises, like, <laughs> I went to. And the aliens were like, what the fuck? So... Like I said, he felt hopeless. And after getting into his cornered possum stance, the aliens exited quickly into the dimly lit narrow hallway. Oh, shit. And Travis specifically stated that when the aliens exited the room, they turned left down the corridor. So Travis was struggling to breathe at this point. He stated in an interview he did in 1975 that he just stood there for several minutes after the aliens left, just trying to just trying to catch his breath. Travis was afraid that these little fancy alien lads could potentially bring back reinforcements, so he left the room into the same corridor. Of course, Travis decided to turn left and not right like the aliens before him had done. I think he actually may have turned right. Left, right, damn you! He turned the opposite direction of the fucking critters. Travis turned the opposite direction of the creatures. When I was reading through that, I was sort of curious, and I don't know if you guys were at all, why Travis didn't just try to hit the creatures or attempt to plow through them like the refrigerator Perry. I thought initially it could have been because he was really scared, or he was even more scared of what they could do if he tried to pass them. But in the book, it states, They could be carrying hidden weapons. Or even be venomous. That's logical. Travis walked 30 to 40 feet down this hallway and turned into a room that had a chair and a table toward the center of it. He then um, observed some knobs, a lever, several multicolored buttons, and a few small screens on that table. He then approached the chair after making sure that none of the alien weirdos were there with him. As he approached the chair, he realized the room started to get darker. He stepped back and the room got lighter again. 
And as he inched closer and closer to this chair, the room kept getting darker and darker, and the walls in the room seemed to disappear, giving away to almost like a view of the stars and the vastness of space. I believe in the book he compared it almost to like a planetarium. The closer you got, the more it looked like a planetarium. He was like in the uh, pilot seat there. Sort of, I think, maybe, yeah. He began to freak out at this point because he started to realize that he was... <laughs> He was kind of a long way from home, and if he was able to exit the craft, he would be in the airless vacuum of space, floating like Burton shit. Burton shit defies gravity. It's hard to get it in the toilet. Sometimes. Get out of here. Katie goes into the restroom afterwards. God damn it, Burton, did you shit again? It's stuck in the the ceiling fan. Hits her in the face. <laughs> uh, no. No! I told you to catch that with your catcher's glove and throw it in the toilet. Touch my lips. (laughs) So, at this point, hoping to find the doorway again, Travis began to turn all sorts of knobs and hitting buttons, but nothing was happening. Travis then said that he realized that, you know, this, what he's doing could be attracting attention by pressing these buttons and shit. Travis then heard someone walk into the room. It was a six-foot-two man who looked like a normal human. Looked like you and I, except he had a helmet on. (laughs) A sort of clear helmet. Travis said, Maybe he's from NASA? I'm saved? I am Ron Burgundy? (laughs) I'm Ron Burgundy? Travis began to ask several questions about where he was. This man, this six-foot-two man, didn't answer Travis. He just grabbed Travis's arm and walked him through the door. <laughs> You're coming with me, but he didn't say it. Mm. Walton and his uh, and this old feller walked for a few minutes. All the while, Travis continued to ask this guy, you know, questions. And uh, this little mute fuck didn't answer a single one of them. I picture Travis being like the stereotypical child. Or my ex-wife on a long trip who I had to give two or three Benadryl to to knock her out till we got to where we were going. Um, the proverbial, are we there yet? No, damn it. Shut the fuck up. You're in the back of the alien ship now. Literally just left your planet. We're not anywhere. So the man walked Travis to a small room with doors on it. Travis said that the room didn't have anything in it. It, He said it looked like how like an airlock would look with just doors and nothing in it. They stepped inside and the doors behind them closed and then the airlock in front of them opened. And Travis was greeted with a light that was, he said it was damn near like daylight hitting him in the face, that warmness, that warmth from it. And also what seemed like fresh and cool air. Travis said it reminded him of spring and snowflake. After entering that room, they walked down a ramp and Travis continued to enjoy his deep breathing, which I forgot to mention before when he woke up, up until this point, he had a real bad headache, right? And he couldn't breathe. And now he can breathe and his headache disappeared. What's that make you think that was up in that area? Tylenol. 
<laughs> oxygen deprivation. Chloroform. While he was in that room fighting off, that's mm. why he had a hard time catching his breath. Yeah. He walked into a room that was more suited for human, like, like uh, humans. So, and that is where we'll leave off for this episode. Next episode, we're going to be finishing this with with the rest of this abduction encounter. And then we're going to talk about what the skeptics said and Travis's rebuttals throughout the years for the skeptics. We also call them skeptics. Yeah. Or well, septics. Am- or septics. And we're going to have a clip of Phil Classo and Mike Rogers arguing on the Larry King live show. And where Philip Classo says, you're a goddamn liar. And then they made out. No, they might not have. Hey, tune in next episode to figure out if they make out. Because they might. You never know. I heard Larry King was uh, 69. No, never mind. Anyways. <laughs> hopefully you guys found this interesting. Next, we'll be closing this out. And then we'll be going on our two-week to a month hiatus. Yeah, and, we'll see. And no, And we'll probably be coming back to... On the day that we started our podcast, our would it be our three year anniversary? Uh, this will be the beginning of year three, yeah. So, isn't that fucking crazy? (laughs) Yep, on the year three, uh, we get a gold cock ring, I think. (sighs) Those hurt. I had one one time and my dick started to turn a little bit purple because it hurt real bad. Well, yeah, you gotta get one that's sized for a monster cam, but dude. It fucking hurt, and it left, like, these fucking marks on it, and I'm like. Wait, time out. What'd you just say? I think TJ said he had a cock ring. That's what I thought he said. That's one of them things that, like, jiggles when you get hard, right? And it's supposed to shake your penis. It's like a tickle me Elmo for your dick. Not a French tickler. I don't. It wasn't a condom. But, no, anyways, it was given to me and my ex on our wedding, and I was like, I'll use it. And then my dick turned purple from it, and I'm like, okay. You got that hog. It's fat. Yeah. As, it's fat, but yeah. It's like grimace penis. And then I had to like walk around, drink tea, and watch like church videos to get it to go down, so I can pull it off. Mm. Anyways, despite our cock, my cock. Pray for TJ's cock, and tune in next episode to figure out if. Uh... His cock will make a surprise guest appearance. Nope. Nope. It's hidden in my britches. I almost said panties. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no. If you guys like this episode, please subscribe to us. Follow us. Whatever the fuck you want to call it. Leave us a review. You don't have to if you don't want to, but when you leave us reviews, it helps us build yeah. self-esteem. Find us on the Facebook. Find us on the Instagram. Find us on... And, and you know, and your mom's panties. What, uh, what? Build a small fire in your mom's panties. Oof. But nope. Tune in next week. Also, yeah, look at our website where our sources are, and the link to our Etsy store if you want to buy some. If not, don't. And if you want no. to go into more pain, painstaking detail of than, than what we've already gone through and what we're going to. You can check out Travis Walton's book, Fire in the Sky. 
Like that's a that's a good book, dude. Yeah, what I've read is good. Up to this point, that abduction scenario fucking haunts me a little bit. So, yeah, my the worst part I've got so far is that the six foot two dude in space that shows up and just like grabs him and says, "Come," and doesn't even say no, doesn't say anything. He just like, I think of He Man. Is it He yeah. Man? That's what the pictures look That's like. Got, oh, I haven't I haven't seen the pictures. Mine doesn't uh, have the pictures. Uh, I've seen the some pictures. It's like you know, a dude with bangs, yeah, long hair. So, yeah, it looks but, like fucking yeah. And the words of Burton, we love you. And and yep. In the words of DT, Zool, yeet it, eat it, <laughs> plead it. Okay, fuck Burton's dog. <laughs>